Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here together. Uh, what a blessing that we're able to sing songs of praise to our Lord, to come together, uh, spend time opening his word and allowing him to, to communicate to us. This afternoon, I want us to consider the topic of local church membership. These are, in fact, lessons that I preached uh, about a year and a half ago here at Eastside. But in the past year and a half, we have gained, by my count, about 10 new members uh, and many other visitors with us. And so I feel, felt like it would be helpful to come back to some of these lessons and talk about the biblical concept of local church membership. Uh, and I, I want to do this in two parts. So we'll do what we might call Church Membership 101 today. And, and what we're really going to talk about is the definition, the demand, and the determination of local church membership. You got a nice alliteration there that, that can help you remember. Or maybe a, an even simpler way to say it is the what, the why, and the how. Uh, what is local church membership? What does it mean to be a member of a local church? Why is it important? Or maybe we can ask the question, is it important? Uh, and how do we determine who is and who is not a member of a local flock? Do we need to make a clear identification of that? And as always, with, with any topic, we want to go to the scriptures. We want God's word to be our guide. Uh, certainly, the, the scriptures don't use the phrase church membership or placing membership. That, that's not a phrase that we're going to find in the Bible. What, what does the Bible tell us about that, though? What, what is God's desire? What is his design for a local church, for how it's supposed to be organized, uh, and for what that means for me as, as a member of this body or, or uh, uh, a sheep in this, this flock? So let's start off by talking about the, the what, the definition of local church membership. And first, we, we need to recognize that church membership has kind of two definitions, um, two separate parts to it. Uh, in one sense, we are added to the Lord's church upon salvation. Uh, we become part of the, the one flock with the one shepherd, the universal church, uh, upon being purchased by Jesus' blood. In Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we see the Apostle Paul is talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he says here in Acts 20 and verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Um, or what, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, at, at the beginning of this, uh, he is talking about the flock among them. So he's talking about a local context. But as he begins to talk about the church of God, which was purchased with Jesus's own blood, I think that, that expands even farther to, to all those who have been purchased by Jesus's blood. The, the word church... Uh, the, the Greek word that's translated church in our Bibles literally just means an assembly or a group of people. In fact, if you just go a chapter earlier in Acts chapter 19, the word is twice used once to refer to a riotous mob that was an ecclesia or an assembly of people. And then again, it uses that same Greek word to talk about a uh, legal gathering. If they were to gather in a courtroom, it's called an ecclesia, 
our word that's translated church. Uh, so the word church is, is a very general word describing an assembly or a group of people. But when we talk about the Lord's church, we're talking about that group of people that belong to him, the group of people that have been purchased by Jesus' blood. Well, how do you become a part of that church? Well, you're purchased by Jesus' blood. And, and when you are redeemed by Jesus' blood and you now belong to him, you are part of that flock, you are part of that body, um, and you, you enter into that, that one church. We also see this idea of the, the universal church, as we might call it, in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22 and 23, the Hebrew writer is making a contrast between Mount, Zion, or Mount Sinai under the old law and Mount Zion under the new law, as the, as the law went forth from Zion on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and so he gives us some imagery here. And in verse 22, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And so here he says, those who have entered into Christ under the new covenant, who have come to Mount Zion, have come to those enrolled in heaven. Where is our church membership? You know, where, where's the roster? It's not some physical roster here on earth that, that you know, you have your membership card or something like that. We're enrolled in heaven. And so uh, upon our salvation, we enter in to that number uh, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We see the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, where Paul writes, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. The idea of one body throughout the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the one church. Well, how do we enter into that one body? He says, By one Spirit you were all baptized into one body. When we're baptized in, in water in the spirit, when, when uh, we have our, our sins washed away, we enter into that one body. But we see that God desires that those in his universal church also form local flocks here on earth. Uh, and so the idea of the local church is not something that, that we just came up with, that we said, you know what? Sounds like a good idea. Let, let's, let's start getting together. Well, no, this is something that God has, has shown us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, we may be familiar with the passage where it says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God's desire for us is that we not forsake, that we give attention to assembling together. Well, how do we do that? Can, can the universal church, all those who have been purchased by Jesus' blood, all assemble together physically? Well, no, there, there are people in past generations who are part of that flock who aren't even here on earth anymore, and there are people in all countries of different languages. And so when we talk about us physically assembling together, there's an implication there that on in a more local level, on a physical level, we need to be getting together to encourage and uh, edify one another. We see many of our Christian responsibilities are in the context of a local assembly. 
there are many things that, that the Bible directs us to do that we simply can't do on our own out in a corner somewhere. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, we see a pattern here where Paul gives instructions to the church in Corinth. Uh, and he says, these are the same instructions that I gave to the churches of Galatia. So this is a, a pattern of, of what they are to be doing. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. He goes on to talk about how, that there might not be any collections when I came. And in that context, there's a specific need, a benevolent need, that they are gathering funds for. But here he gives us a pattern for how a local church is to address needs such as this. Whether it may be, as we see in other places, even a need of an evangelist somewhere who needs support, like Paul did, receiving funds from the, the church of Philippi. Uh, well, it's not that they each individually were just to kind of, you know, send their own little contribution. He says that there be no collections when I come. They, they were, every time they got together on the first day of the week, which we see is their pattern from passages like Acts 20 and verse 7 and elsewhere. Um, but every time they were coming together on the first day of the week, they were to gather those funds. We, we see what we might uh, call a, a collective treasury that they were to use in the Lord's work and in other uh, uh, works that were authorized for the collective body. Well, that's not something that we can just do on our own. We also see in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, and really this entire context of 1 Corinthians 14 is in the context of the assembly. And he talks about doing things for edification, for building up one another. He talks about them praying collectively. He talks about them singing collectively. Uh, it talks about teaching going on there. Now, you, you might say, well, th those are things for the most part that we can do on our own. I can pray on my own. I, I can sing on my own. But here in this context, he's talking about doing those things for edification, for building up one another. This is a collective prayer that we're talking about. This, this is collective singing and praise to God. Uh, this is certainly collective teaching uh, for one another. So again, we see certain patterns and, and commands within the scriptures that, that we can't fulfill outside of the context of an assembly. Also, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, in verse 33, we read about the Lord's Supper. As we just partook of the Lord's Supper together, sometimes in the scripture that's called the communion. What does that word mean? Well, to commune, to have fellowship in something, implies a togetherness. Uh, and certainly there's one sense in which we are communing with the Lord. Uh, but there's another sense in which we see every time that the Lord's Supper is talked about, it's talked about in an assembly context. This is something that we aren't just doing on our own off in a corner somewhere. But this is something that God intends that we remember together. And so uh, many instructions throughout the scripture show us that God's design is for there to be local flocks, and he tells us how to organize those flocks. Uh, he gives us a blueprint for what the local church is to look like. And so again, this is not our own idea. This is something that God desires of his people. We've talked, in fact, recently about the qualifications for elders or shepherds and deacons or, or special servants. We see those in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Uh, and there, there is an implied structure there that God has, has given certain roles and certain measures of, of, of authority or leadership on a local level to certain qualified men. 
he gave us those instructions for a reason, because he intends for us to organize together. Now, a lot of what we are going to say today is going to make application to a, a fully formed congregation where, where there are shepherds and where there are elders. And we've talked about this recently. Uh, we're in a state right now which is similar to the congregations in early on in the book of Acts where Paul and, and Barnabas hadn't yet gone through and appointed elders. There, there is a time period where you know, we certainly don't want to appoint unqualified men. Um, but we're going to see even these concepts that apply to a, a fully formed and organized congregation are going to apply to us in the same way. Um, but God's design is that we form local flocks. And each of us as Christians need to join a local flock, or as we might call it, place membership. I want to go back to the passage that Luke read for us a moment ago. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. You notice uh, Saul of Tarsus had recently been converted. He had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus, and uh, he goes into Damascus. He prays for three days, and then Ananias comes. He says, why do you wait? Uh, arise, wash away your sins, uh, be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so Saul has been added to the Lord's church. Right? He has been purchased by Jesus' blood. He has had his sins washed away. But notice here in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. We'll see that Barnabas kind of helps clear things up, and he does go in and out among them there, doing the Lord's work in Jerusalem. But I want you to notice that phrase, he attempted to join the disciples there. Some versions say associate with. But th this word, this Greek word join there, is in fact the same word that we see in Romans 12 and in verse 9 where it says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. You can say Paul sought to cling to the brethren there in Jerusalem. Just like we're to hold fast to what is good, Paul is trying to hold fast to the brethren. Um, There's a word that, that means to... Uh, glue, to cement, to fasten firmly together. We, we also see this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16 and 17, uh, where we read, Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he, he talks about the the... Uh, marital intimacy there and the misuse of it. Um, but he talks about this, this one flesh relationship where two people are joined together. Well, that's, that's the same word. Uh, th this joining into an intimate relationship. And in fact, when you think about them joining together as one flesh, uh, now in a different sense, but isn't that what we do when we join the one body? We, we are becoming one flesh, one body. And so what we see in the scriptures is that a, a local flock, a local body, is intended to have a very intimate uh, glue and, and cement together. We're to be knit together in love. And so I, I challenge us as we think about this, how, how firmly fastened are you to 
the local church. Uh, God's design is that we should, in, in a sense, become one body, right? Become one flesh, function in that way. Well, that's, that's going to require me to cling, to join myself. That, that's going to require me to, to have a, a great deal of, of intimacy and getting to know my brethren and becoming part of, of this family. And so... Uh, I think we, we can challenge ourselves and ask, is this flock packed tightly together? Or is it kind of scattered apart? Is this body knit together or are the members disjointed and falling apart? Well, God's design is that we be firmly uh, knit together in love. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about local church membership is this, this concept of, of joining together as a body, as a flock, as, as a family. Uh, but you might look at some of that and say, well, you know, but is that really necessary? I can fulfill a lot of those commands without formally identifying with a group. You know, I, I can go in and I can sing and I can pray and I can uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, is this just an optional thing or is this something that God truly desires of his people? That, that we, in time, uh, do place membership with a flock. And, and I want to make very clear that certainly this is not something to be taken lightly. That this is something that, that we may take a long time to, to think about. We'll talk about in the determination of local church membership how we, we need to give some thought to who it is that we're joining ourselves to. Um, but what, what I hope to show is that th- this is not just a kind of take it or leave it thing. This is something that God desires of his people. That in time, whether it be here or elsewhere, we do form this type of bond as God's people. So the first thing that I think we can see with the, the why uh, is that shepherds must know their sheep and sheep must know their shepherds. Again, we're, we're talking about a context where we do have qualified men. I think we'll see that these same principles apply even in, in our present context. But let's, let's talk about it from this angle for a moment. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that we read earlier, where Paul is talking to those elders in Ephesus, you remember what he urged them to do. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So here they are to oversee, they are to be on guard for the flock among them. Well, how can you guard and shepherd if you don't know who the flock is? How will you know if you lost any sheep, if you don't know who are your sheep? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3 we see this concept as well. If you want to turn your Bibles there with me, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He talks about those who are in their charge or allotted to their charge. Shepherds 
need to know who are allotted to their charge, who are entrusted to their charge, because they are going to give an account. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, talks about us giving honor to those who, who lead us because they watch over our souls as those who will give an account. Think about it this way. If, if you maybe have ever been a chaperone on some school function, on a, a field trip or a band trip, um, you are entrusted with a certain group of students, right? And you're responsible to, to look out for their well-being. How are you going to do that if you don't know who those students are? If you don't know who has been allotted to your charge? Because as a chaperone, every once in a while, you're going to need to get everybody together. You're going to make sure you haven't lost anybody. And yet, if you have no idea who is and who is not part of this field trip, you're not going to be able to fulfill that responsibility. Well, God's design for a local church includes some accountability, some accountability that requires that shepherds know who their sheep are. And conversely, it requires that sheep know who their shepherds are. We as well have some responsibilities. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he goes on to say, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Now, I think there's a sense in which we could apply this more generally to young people and older people. But in context, he's been talking about the idea of elders as elders of the church. And those who are spiritually younger need to be honoring them. We have a responsibility to honor our shepherds. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. We read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So we're, we're told that we need to obey and submit to our leaders, those who are watching over our souls. I think the implication there is that he's talking about shepherds. Um, and so certainly, uh, first and foremost, we need to be listening to the chief shepherd. But there are going to be a lot of things in my spiritual growth and my spiritual well-being that are going to be matters of, of judgment. Uh, and I'm told that I need to submit and obey my spiritual leaders. Um, and I, I think that's a difficult concept for us sometimes. I, I think, you know, yes, I'll listen to you. Yes, I'll agree with you as long as I agree with you. <laughs> uh, well, no, God tells us that if there are men who are qualified, who are, do in fact meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, then I need to respect that spiritual maturity and that there are going to be some areas where I, I need to, you know, if, if they say this is what we're going to be doing as a, a congregation, not, not a matter of uh, is this something that has biblical authority or something that doesn't, but in a matter of is this going to be best for the congregation or, or would this other thing be best, there's a certain amount of, of obedience, of submission to that leadership. And yet again, if I'm kind of a, a, a sheep without a flock, then... How am I going to fulfill this command? You know, well, there's some shepherds over there and some shepherds over here, but I, I, I'm just kind of a drifter. Well, uh, again, there is a time period and maybe a very lengthy time period where, where we're, we're going to be working through deciding how we're going to fulfill these responsibilities with what group we're going to fulfill these responsibilities. It may be here, it may be elsewhere. But I think we need to see that according to God's design, uh, he does intend for us to form these local flocks and to, to make a clear identification there. 
And even in the absence of qualified elders, we still have a responsibility to look out for the flock. It's not that, well, we don't have qualified men, and so you know, we just don't have to worry about whether or not these sheep are doing okay. Well, no, in fact, all the more we share that responsibility. We share that responsibility to look out for one another's souls. In Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 12 and 13, we read, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, I think there's first... Uh, a personal application here that I need to make sure I don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. But the way he phrases this is that I also need to be watching out for my brethren to make sure that they don't develop uh, a calloused and an evil and unbelieving heart either. Um, that I need to be encouraging one another day after day that none of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So not having elders does not free us from the responsibility of accountability. Um, in fact, not having elders means all the more we need to each be doing our part uh, to make sure that we're looking out for the well-being of the flock. Uh, and one day when we do, Lord willing, appoint elders, uh, that shouldn't stop either. It's not that, okay, now they can take care of it. Now I don't have a responsibility. You, you, you look in at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Notice what we're told here about when our brother falls into sin. It says in Galatians 1, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Who's supposed to fulfill that command? Who's supposed to restore the wayward with a spirit of gentleness? says, you who are spiritual. If you don't think this applies to you, it needs to. <laughs> he just got done in Galatians 5 talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is a responsibility that should apply to each and every one of us. That we each need to be looking out for our brother. And if we recognize that, that he's falling, we need to be there to, to lift him up and encourage him. First um, Corinthians chapter 5, if you'd like to turn your Bibles over there. We see the, the concept of church discipline, and perhaps we might address this more thoroughly in a future lesson. But notice in 1 Corinthians 5, you, you have a situation where there was a man in the congregation who was committing adultery with his father's wife. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was very clear and blatant immorality for uh, everybody to see, the congregation and the, the world around them included. And Paul is saying this needs to be handled. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But notice what he says down at the end of this passage, starting in verse 11. He says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You notice a contrast there between the responsibility of, of judgment, of, of discipline here, to those who are outside and those who are inside. He says those outside, God judges. 
it's not our place to, to uh, dissociate ourselves from everybody in the world that's, that's involved in a life of sin. In fact, it's our place to reach out and try to bring them in, right? But if there is a so-called brother, if there's somebody who identifies as a brother who is continuing in sin, that needs to be addressed. He asks the question there in verse 12, a rhetorical question, is it not those inside the church whom you judge? The answer should be yes. The answer is that we have a responsibility to look out for the well-being of this flock, to look out for the well-being of that soul, as well as the souls around him that may be influenced by his sin. Uh, and yet, if there is no clear distinction between, well, well, who is inside the flock and who's outside the flock, then, then we can't fulfill this responsibility as a congregation. And so that, that's why I think we see in the scriptures that there is a clear delineation of those who have, have joined themselves to this body, to this family, to this flock, and those who, who have not. Because we have certain responsibilities when it comes to those who are within the flock. And I think we can see as well that we are much more vulnerable outside of the local flock. We can see God's wisdom and why he designed it this way. If you look back in 1 Peter chapter 5, where he was talking about the elders uh, shepherding the flock among them. Notice in that same context, just a little bit later, down in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we read, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't think it's any mistake that he just got done talking about the shepherds and the sheep, and now he's talking about the roaring lion seeking whom you may devour. The reason that God wants us to be packed together is for our protection. Um, you know, the, the lion, when he is, is seeking out his prey, isn't just going to rush madly into the middle of the flock seeking the, the sheep who is nice and close to the shepherd, packed in with everybody else. He is, seeks to isolate one from the rest of the flock and chase it down. And so God's design is that we do pack together for our protection and that we need that, that design of a, a flock for our spiritual well-being. Acts chapter 20 uh, and 28 through 31 that we've looked at a couple times now where uh, Paul talks to the elders there about being on guard over the flock among whom the Holy Spirit made them overseers. He goes on to tell them that savage wolves are going to come in to that flock, not sparing it. Um, and so he says, therefore, be on the alert. So shepherds have a specific role of, of recognizing who is coming into the flock, uh, watching out for those among the flock, and giving account for that. Uh, elders are not just overseers of the church building. They're not just overseers of the, the church treasury. More than anything, they're overseers of the church, the souls, the people, the flock. Uh, in fact, a lot of those other uh, things of the, the building and the treasury might, might, as we've seen in past studies, be more the work of, of deacons to begin with. And so I, I may think, well, I, I don't need somebody getting into my business. You know, I, I just want to live my own spiritual life uh, over here with the Lord, and I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll associate with other people, but I, I don't want anybody kind of 
watching over my soul. Well, God's design is that I have people looking out for my soul. God's design is that I have people uh, who are going to give an account for me. And so if I think, well, I I just don't, I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that. Brethren, I'm, I'm rebelling against God's design. I'm saying, God, I, I know you think that's a good idea, but, but I, I don't think I need it. Well, no, if we truly respect God's word, if we truly respect his wisdom and his design, then, then we're going to seek to do what, what he's showing us. Seek to, to organize ourselves in the way that we see within the scriptures. And so again, you know, I'm sure that uh, Paul, as he went from place to place, there were probably many times that he wasn't, uh, you know, in, in an established congregation, what wasn't an active member in one group. Uh, but in time, God's design is that wherever we are, wherever we move, we find people to join ourselves to. Uh, that when he went to Jerusalem, he sought to join himself to the brethren there. Uh, but how do we do that. And this gets to the, the process that does take time, something that, that takes discernment, that takes wisdom uh, on, on both sides. I think from the example of Acts chapter 9, we see that each Christian has an obligation to initiate this association. Uh, just as Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, tried to associate himself with the disciples or tried to join himself to the disciples, um, he saw that need in himself and what God desired for him. And, and he you know, didn't have to be pulled or coaxed by some shepherd to, to get into the flock. He, he recognized that that's what God desired and pursued it. Uh, and yet, I think we see that Christians need to be selective in the flock to which they join themselves. We, we want to make sure that, that we are joining ourselves with other people who are, are standing in God's word, um, who are striving to serve God uh, the way that, that he has directed us. We, we see an example of uh, failed leadership um, in Numbers chapter 16. You may remember the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. When here the, these three people rise up and decide that they want to be leaders among God's people, uh, and try to kind of take charge. But notice what the people are told in Numbers 16, verse 26. Uh, God tells them, depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all their sin. And so when there is leadership that is not honoring to God, when there is leadership uh, that, that is uh, drawing people away from God's desire, he tells us, you, you get away from that. Because what happens to them later is they're, they're swallowed up by the earth, and anybody who was standing with them was going with them. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about some churches losing their lampstand. Um, there's the illustration there of each church as a lamp standing before the Lord. But he warns, if, if you don't repent, if you don't be who, who God wants you to be, then Jesus is going to come and remove that lampstand. I, I certainly don't want to be a part of any group of people that's going to have their lampstand removed. I want to make sure that whoever I seek to join myself with are people who are 
seeking to be pleasing to the Lord in all things that they do. We're warned in Galatians 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The, the influence of false teaching of evil is not something that I should associate myself with. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, we may be familiar with the phrase there. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Just for a moment, I want you to recognize the context of 1 Corinthians 15. Because most times that, that I've heard that phrase, you know, as a young man, as a teenager, bad company corrupts good morals. I, I, I think about, you know, people in the world living immorally. Uh, you know, I don't want to get swept up in a lot of the uh, drinking or sexual immorality. You know what the context of 1 Corinthians 15 is? It's about false teaching. It's about people who are saying there was going to be no resurrection. And he says, in that context, bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, and so I need to be very careful. If there are people who are deviating from God's word, who are not teaching what it says, then I, I should not be joining myself to that. Because that's going to corrupt my service to the Lord. God will judge our support and association with such men. And so... That's why this may be a process that takes, in fact, a long time. It, it may be that wherever I'm living, I, I'm, I'm seeking out people who are genuinely seeking to, to serve the Lord, who are genuinely following the pattern of the scripture. Uh, and, and that's going to take some time to, to see whether or not that is the case. But conversely, a local flock must decide whether or not to accept an individual into their fellowship as well. And I think we see this in Acts chapter 9. Remember when Paul tries to join himself to the flock there, or Saul at that time tries to join himself to the flock. It says there in Acts chapter 9, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But we see Barnabas coming and explaining to them how he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, how he had been converted uh, and so he then, it says he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem. I think we'll see that the, the brethren had every right to accept or reject somebody that, that was coming into the flock based on whether or not they were part of God's flock. Uh, and and we'll, we'll see this is ultimately part of protecting the flock but basically, this decision has to be made on whether or not someone appears to be in fellowship with the Lord. Turn your Bibles to 2 John. 2 John. We can't see as God sees. We can't see people's heart. We don't know whether or not somebody is truly in fellowship with the Lord. But that doesn't mean that we don't have some judgments that we need to make. Notice 2 John. There's just one chapter. Let's look in verse 9, beginning. It says in verse 9, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So he says, if we want to have fellowship with God, if we want to have fellowship with Christ, then we need to be following the teaching of Christ. And if somebody comes to you and he's not following the teachings of Christ, uh, he, he's rejecting the teachings of Christ, then don't welcome him in. 
He says, don't, don't greet him. Uh, you know, don't, don't show some sign of, of approval of his false teaching because he's not in fellowship with the Lord. And so there, there is an obligation that we have based on somebody's fruits, uh, based on what they're, they're teaching, what they're practicing, to make some judgment of whether or not this person is following God's word. Um, and, and certainly we recognize that there, there is a, a huge difference between somebody who is growing and learning and seeking to follow God's word and is still understanding more and more about how, how to do that. Uh, people who are struggling with sin in their life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who is refusing to do God's will, is rejecting God's will. But this ultimately is part of protecting the flock. We've looked at Acts 20, verse 28, and following probably four or five times now. But but remember when Paul's talking to those Ephesian elders and he tells them to watch over the flock, to guard the flock, and they're told about savage wolves that are going to come in and not spare the flock. What, What were the shepherds to do about that? Were, when he says, be, be on the alert, is it just that they needed to be aware so they could stand there and say, oh, yep, the wolves are here. That's not good. <laughs> well, no, they had a responsibility. They had a responsibility to protect the flock from that influence. And so we see in many different places throughout the scripture this concept that, that you know, if, if, if Saul of Tarsus was not truly a disciple, then he shouldn't have been allowed to, to join the flock there. Uh, it was legitimate that Barnabas had to come and explain the situation to them, that yes, he is in fellowship with God. Brethren, if, if we accept somebody into our fellowship who is clearly not in fellowship with God, what, what is that saying? Well, you know, God's not as quite, quite as accepting as we are. Is that what we want to say? Well, no, brethren, we, we want to have the mindset of the Lord. And if based on somebody's rejection of God's word, somebody's living a rebellious life of sin, somebody is is teaching false doctrine, if they're not in fellowship with God, then then they can't be in fellowship with with me either. But if if by God's grace uh, they are seeking to serve him just as I uh, am seeking to serve him, then, then we can have fellowship with one another. And so that, that's why there is a process to this. And it doesn't matter who comes in. It doesn't matter what your background is, who you know. Uh, that, that's why we here at Eastside and, and trying to follow what we see in the scriptures, uh, first have somebody express that they would like to join themselves to the flock here, like, like Saul of Tarsus did. Uh, and then we, we take some time. We, we don't have shepherds that can take the lead in that, but we take some time that the congregation can get to know them and make sure, um, have some conversations, make sure that this person is in fellowship with God, that this person is is not going to do harm to the flock. Uh, And so it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, if my uh, sister from Indianapolis and her family moved up here, we we do the same thing. We, we, We take seriously this responsibility that we have of protecting the flock, uh, of seeking to do things in a biblical way. Uh, and I hope seeing these concepts biblically will be helpful to us as we think about 
uh, those who are members here, who have placed membership with us, who have joined themselves to the flock, what that means, uh, what that should look like, uh, and also as, as others may consider that in the future. And so, as always, I, I want to extend an invitation, a call to action at the end uh, of our sermons. But I want to make it clear, our primary concern, our primary work is not filling these chairs. It's not biggering and bettering the Eastside Church of Christ. Uh, we're not some business that, that is you know, t- trying to, to make it big or anything like that. Our primary concern is that people are part of the one flock, that people are, are enrolled in heaven. And that, that's what our greatest desire is more than anything else. But God has designed that local flocks form to encourage and edify one another, help each other be who God wants them to be. Uh, and so if, if you want to, to be part of this local flock, that is something that we would be overjoyed about. Uh, and we greatly uh, appreciate every member of this body uh, and want to be what, what God wants us to be. And so what about you today? Do you recognize that you're not part of the one flock? That you haven't been baptized into the one body? Brother, that, that, that is the most important thing. And if you, if you recognize that your sins have not been washed away by the blood of Jesus, you can confess your belief in Jesus as the Son of God today. You can repent of your old life, leave your sins behind in the waters of baptism. By God's grace, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. But if you've done that, uh, and you're seeking now to, to live out that new and transformed life. Um, consider some of these concepts that we're seeing in the scriptures. And whether it be here, whether it be elsewhere, seek to fulfill God's design for your spiritual well-being, for our spiritual well-being, uh, and seeking to, to form these things. We'll talk next week uh, tr- about Church Membership 102, uh, some blessings and responsibilities of church membership. This lesson may be more so is directed towards understanding these concepts, maybe more for people who are considering placing membership. Uh, but next week, we're really going to delve into, well, what, what does that mean for me? If I'm going to be a member of this flock, uh, first of all, why, why should I want to? What, what blessings has God designed in that regard? Uh, but what, what responsibilities does that involve for me? If there's anybody who recognizes a need that they need to make known to this group, we want to invite you to do that now. If there's anything that we can pray for you about, if there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, won't you let us know at this time as we sing together?